Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-partner. Thankfully, we, we get to say this, Cole. This is like our first show by ourselves. Um, yeah. Cole Miller is on the other side of the mic. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Nate and Kevin. I hope you're doing well. It's been a fun first week. Isaiah Roby broke Nick Vujovic's ankle, or yeah, Vujovic's ankles last night. Uh, Lonnie Walker is showing signs. Garland and Sexton aren't the worst backcourt in the NBA, and uh, yeah, off to another great week. The the Cleveland Cavaliers, thank God they yeah. are they are proving me right so far. I know the 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 Sexland backcourt <laughs> didn't have an inspiring fourth game, but Can you three never and one, that again? I'll take it. <laughs> I, I, I never want you to say that again for the record. Oh, come on. You don't, you don't like the nickname? The, the, the self-imposed Cleveland Cavaliers nickname? No, the only nickname I like is Lemon Pepper Lou. Lemon Pepper Lou. All right, now, now I guess we are, we're, we're getting too far out in this podcast already. We, we, we need to reel it back in, and thankfully we are reeling it back in because, Cole, we're getting back to what we love the most, which is scouting these young guys, playing the field, finding the new talent that's going to be coming into the league. And I think what we've decided to do for this podcast is going to be beneficial for a lot of people out there because a lot of the draft talk always centers, at least on casual social media, about like the top three guys in the draft, right? Well, you and I love to go off the beaten path a little bit, although we're not doing too much of that this podcast. We're still going to talk about some relatively high-profile guys or guys that should be on people's radars um, that that I think for the most part we're we're going to be ranking first round now by by this time next week or later in next week Cole and I are probably going to have big boards done for this first part of the year which is very exciting I can't wait to do a whole podcast series kind of breaking down at least like a top thirty of what those big boards are going to look like um, but this is going to be a nice little exercise to get people familiar with or thinking about other guys than just like that top three slate, right? So, Cole, are you ready to jump into some of this conversation? I'm ready. And just to back up and echo a sentiment you shared a moment ago, I was writing down some notes throughout the week preparing for this, and I was just reminded how much I love exactly what you said, scouting the young guys and seeing who's up next. So let's get into it. And, and, and I, quite frankly, preparing for this podcast as well, I nerded out a little bit. I finally got into some of the synergy stats, breaking down some of these numbers. I found some some fascinating, even though I don't like numbers telling the entire story, I found some fascinating stats, especially backing up one player that I know you're, you're going to love, somebody who's taken a major leap on my board. I don't want to start with him quite yet, though. Let's start with with one of our pet teams that you and I were talking about before the season started at the beginning of the year. That is the Arizona State Sun Devils with, with two guys who are, are both freshmen who probably weren't out on everyone's radars quite at the start of the year. But even though one of them's been hurt in Marcus Bagley, Josh Christopher has certainly um, taken a jump and has maintained his consistency all year, at least from a scoring standpoint inside the arc 60.7 percent shooting on two pointers with a 58.3 true shooting percentage overall that's pretty good for a guard who relies on, on pull-up jumpers crafty scoring inside the arc i know most of his offense comes from buckets on the move in different sets or, or in transition so he, he's not really like a spot-up shooter yet um but his 86.7% shooting from the free throw line bodes well for, for that moving forward as something that he can maybe work on getting into the league and then through the early part of his, of his likely stint in the NBA here. And definitely somebody that I'm going to rank in my top 30 for sure. How high? I'm not quite sure yet, but uh, where, where are you at on, on Josh Christopher so far, Cole? What, what, have you, what have you liked that you've seen from him so far? And where, where do you feel that he really needs to come out in this getting towards the second half of the college season really needs to show some other things that he can do. Yeah. So man, I mean, right, right from the first game, it, it was very apparent that Josh Christopher knew how to go score the basketball. So if you like offense, this is your guy in the draft. Um, what, what there is to like that should stand off the uh, screen or page to anybody is that his body is ready to go. And I think we'll only get better for, in between the few months that the college season ends and the NBA season starts, hopefully we get summer league this year. Um, I think you have to like also that you won't have to teach this kid how to score. 
Uh, yeah, his three-point percentage leaves something to be desired, but he's taking almost four games, so he's definitely confident in his stroke. And like you said, his his free throw percentage is at 86.7. So I think I think that's his, probably his main thing to work on on offense. I'd like to see some consistency in his mechanics over the second half of the season. Um, and I'd like to see him continue to get his teammates involved. I don't think he needs to do more of it. He's definitely this team's go-to scorer. Uh, that's, his, that's his role on this team. Might not be his role immediately in the NBA, um, but uh, as far as Arizona State this year, he's got to be their scorer. So I, f- I think the fact that he is averaging the assists he is currently, and he's not, like, he's not a ball hog. He definitely isn't. We said this off air, Nate, that he scores within the flow of the offense. He's directing traffic. He knows, you know, he knows the sets pretty well. He's just very confident in his scoring ability. Uh, how do you feel about him? going into the second half and what he needs to do yeah so the three-point shooting obviously we can point to that as kind of like a semi-red flag that he he's taking almost four a game and he's not making them at a high clip he, he's definitely settling for more jumpers than i think i'd like to see him settle for um especially when you consider that the free throw shooting is where it is he's only shooting four free throws a game or a little over four free, free, free throws a game i think you and i would probably like to see that number jump up to about nine or ten really see him settle less for some of those mid-range pull-ups, even though he is um, scoring, again, 60.7% inside the arc on twos. That is really impressive for a guard. But what what would be more impressive is he could probably even still add to that 16.9 points per game he's averaging if he just got to the line like five or six more times a game. That's that's an easy additional like four or five points that he's probably contributing to that team on a nightly basis. So that's definitely something I'd like to see him lean into more. But... Like we said, he, he, you you can complain about some of his shot selection when he isn't operating within the flow of the offense. He does kind of break out of that um, at some points over the course of a full game. But what he does really well, obviously getting out in the break and transition, utilizing his athleticism, I, ironically operating out of the pick and roll. He's, he's over one point per possession um, by synergy stats out of pick and roll as well as isolation sets. And of course, as I mentioned in transition, so those are three areas where he at least knows how he needs to score and what he's good at. And that's something that not a lot of young prospects figure out quite right away, especially like a freshman season, right? Is like what they're really good at, what they can really lean into right away. And, and, and Christopher certainly embraced who he is and he's used that to his advantage and he's putting up quite the scouting resume for, for scouts early on. Definitely. And I think the fact that he does read the court so well in the ways you just mentioned in terms of at least getting his own offense will help lend himself to being able to learn how to read the court even further and, and you know develop that ability to get to the line a little bit more I mean in the last three games he's shown an aptitude to get to at least line at least four times whereas the first four or five games he didn't get there above, uh, more than four times just once so he's definitely starting to take assert his will at the rim um, and I think it's just a matter of time like he needs to get to the right system at the next level if we want to move, move the conversation on Christopher to the next level a little bit. He needs to get to the right system, not, not the team that's just going to let him go be a jack uh, and get as many shots as he wants, but some, a team that's going to let him come in and learn on that second unit, learn from some good vets that are going to teach him the right ways. I think the sky's the limit offensively for this guy. I mean, what, what do you kind of see as a comparison and player route for him? I kind of wrote down like a TJ Warren and, and DeMar DeRozan. I know some people have thrown out Nick Young for him, but I really don't see that. I think Nick Young was a better shooter and will be a better shooter. And I think uh, Christopher is just is going to live in the mid-range, despite what the analytics say about the mid-range these days. Well, we got to keep the Nick Young conversation to a minimum or else we're going to get Kevin too excited over there. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we can't let Swaggy P dominate this podcast. But what, what I will say is that DeRozan probably is the ceiling for Christopher, I think if, if everything breaks well, because pe- people forget how good of a passer DeMar DeRozan has become. He wasn't mm-hmm. that when he first stepped into the league. But as an all-around playmaking threat, whether it's getting his own bucket or setting somebody else up for something, um, that's the kind of all-around threat that we'd like to see Christopher become. While he's not necessarily a passing savant, he may never get to that point playmaking as well as, as DeRozan. What I do like to see as well is that he's, he's kept the turnovers to a to a relatively small minimum. 
um, in, in his time. He's averaging one, 1. 1.7 turnovers a game. So even though he's not averaging more than one assist necessarily, he's, he's not like two or three assists per game to go along with those turnovers. He's still shooting um, over 12 shot attempts per game. So he's obviously taking a healthy role within the offense and he's getting shots off at an efficient clip without turning the ball over, getting himself into those looks. So that's another thing that really talks about um, how polished of a scorer he is and how much of a threat he can be moving forward. So I think you and I are in agreement on how we see Christopher that he can potentially be a featured scoring option in some form or capacity at the NBA level. And if you're talking about a guy with a ceiling, potentially like a DeMar DeRozan, that's a really dangerous player in, in any draft class. That's somebody who's probably going to end up going um, under, underrated, although with some of the struggles with some of the other wing prospects that we're probably going to talk about in the coming weeks here with guys like Brandon Boston Jr., Terrence Clark, them not getting off to the hottest of starts, that's definitely going to open up more space for somebody like Christopher uh, for, for scouts to look at and say, well, some of these guys aren't working out, but here's a guy like Christopher who he may not be like the prototypical uh, shooting guard as far as like his outside shooting for today's NBA, but he's a guy that could definitely get his own bucket. And he's a guy that doesn't necessarily hurt his team doing so. Like he's not the, or at least he's not right now, the Jack that everyone might've thought coming out of high school. So he's definitely made a really positive case for himself. I'm glad to see him succeeding. Um, and I can't wait to keep evaluating him as the season moves along. Another guy that I can't wait to keep evaluating as he comes back from um, the injury he suffered. We only have four games for to go off of for Marcus Bagley. Um, but I want to see if he can do more than just the spot-up shooting that he's showcased. Because in those four games, he got off to a great start in that first game. I remember you and I texting going back and forth, Cole, about how we thought that he's probably playing himself into a first-round case for sure. But the hype train definitely cooled down a little bit. Now, in those four games, he put up 13 points a game. But that slash line is ugly. 36.1% from the field, 69.6% from the free throw line, a, 50, a .554 true shooting percentage for someone his size, where wherever you want to put him, I, th I think he's probably like 6'7 or a little over 6'7. He's listed at 6'8. But either way, his two-point percentage, 27.3. That, to me... That's a major red flag. And I know he doesn't have like a true like a true table setter to work with. Remy's gotten better at doing that. I know Remy Martin's a guy that you like, Cole, and we're probably going to end up talking about him at some point this season because he is a senior. Um, but he's not like a true table setter, and that kind of hurts when you don't have like a true point guard to work with. Obviously, Remy that I mentioned, but Josh Christopher that we're talking about is more of a scorer at this point than a facilitator. But at some point in time, like some of the blame has come back in yourself, right? For, for not being able to convert more efficiently on some of those looks inside the arc. Like now, granted, he does rank well in what he can do, right? Being a spot-up shooter, coming off screens, quick catch and shoot. He can do those things. And at his size, that's a great weapon to have. But Cole, talk to me a little bit about some of your concerns for, for Marcus Bagley. I think those are probably red flags in your mind as a scout as well. Definitely. Um, from the little bit that we have seen of him. And yeah, the first game was, you know, kind of a revelation. We're like, oh man, look, here comes Marvin's brother. And he's going to play himself right into that first round conversation, like you said. But yeah, the two point percentage is super concerning. Um, it's a small sample size to say the least in four games. But within those four games, we saw like I, what I thought was a really um, rough touch around the rim and a really limited um, ability to finish around the rim in a number of ways, too. He was pretty crude um, getting the ball up in any kind of NBA high-level way. I thought he was kind of a bull in the china shop when he, when he got to the lane. Um, even in transition, he just was like kind of running down the lane and hoping to get fouled, which he definitely got fouled. Uh, you know, he was getting six attempts a game which isn't terrible for a 6'8 wing with limited no. ball skills, uh, let's be honest. So he shows aptitude to do the things he needs to do. He's not great at them just yet. He's a good shooter. Um, I wrote down in my notes, has, has Marvin done enough in the NBA community to endear like the Bagley family so that Marcus gets a first-round selection just based off that and showing like you know a little bit of you know being NBA's body-sized, and being able to shoot, does that get him a first-round selection if he doesn't come back from the injury and, and improve that much? I don't know. 
but I, I think we need to see him get better around the rim in a hurry this season, or he's going to find his way in this early second round, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment completely because when, when you have when you have somebody, even though he's the size that he is, but he's so limited in what he can do offensively, what does the game plan become? Just put a body on him, stick with him. That like That's the game plan. That's too easy to shut down in, in today's NBA. And yeah, he, he's not a terrible athlete by any means, but I wouldn't consider him like really quick moving off the ball. Like he, he, he's kind of a guy where you, you end up creating something off the dribble and it's nice to have a guy like Marcus Bagley kind of spotting up in the corner. He, he's a threat and he can knock down that shot if he gets the ball. But if that's really all that he ends up being and he's not really a threat to like attack a closeout or, or finish off a quick drive or maybe operate out of a little bit of like pick and roll at his size, like what, what really is that? in terms of first round value in today's NBA. I just, I, I don't see it unless he really turns some of that two point shooting around. Um, so, so I kind of agree on our assessment there, Cole, that some of the skepticism is warranted, but as you said, such a small sample size to work with, he can absolutely come back and prove the both of us wrong um, in, in that regard. And probably other scouts, if he comes back and has a strong second half of the year. So wishing the best of luck to him, wishing great health for him. And hopefully he can come back and, and, definitely mitigate some of those concerns yeah um, the, the the dichotomy between him and his brother is pretty interesting obviously they're different positions well sort of actually if you depends where you would put marvin um he could play anywhere from three to five we had that discussion on one of our pods last week but um marvin has like a lot of skill and is still able to add a lot of skill where it just seems like marcus is lacking a ton of skill and i'm not sure if he's going to be able to add to it because the way his body moves whereas marvin moves so much more fluidly yeah you you know it's funny that you say that because he he is a little stiff right and and mm -hmm. maybe that speaks to the point i just made about how he's not like the quickest player moving without the ball um he he's not somebody that's gonna like beeline it right to the other end um of of the half court like from corner to corner he's not like a blur moving to that kind of a spot where the defense can't track him. And then all of a sudden he's going to wind up with this amazing open shot where everyone's like, holy cow, how did you let him get open right now? If, if somebody wants to keep a body on him, they're definitely going to be able to keep a body on him. The question is, is how much of his offensive game diversifies to the point where you can't just account for him just standing in a corner or running from corner to corner and just looking the spot up, right? How much right. can he set himself apart? And Though that that's a really big question to to have to answer for for a freshman, um, it, it wonders me. I, do you, do you think he might go back to Arizona State next year, or do you Dep think he's definitely going to come out? I I think it depends based off how the injury, how he responds off the injury. Because I I certainly not wouldn't make rule that him yet. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out the fact of him coming back to school. I know that everyone would want to point to him. Oh well. Marvin was this talent who was a one and done. His brother probably wants to do the same, be a one and done, not right. be like this multi-year college project, right? Right. He wants to follow a similar path to his brother. So that's going to be a really interesting story to track as well. We could grade him a certain way, but he might not even be in this draft class, depending on how things break out for him in the second half of the year. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Moving to one guy, I know that Cole, you put him on my radar i wasn't well aware of the 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 rutgers basketball team that was about to have a breakout season uh -huh. but and, and i wasn't aware of this this guy either for the most part but ron harper jr yeah. is having himself one hell of a year cole i'll, I'll let you start this one um ju just give the audience a little bit of a background of of what you've seen from from ron harper jr and the type of threat that you think that he is yeah so watching ron harper jr is just like a it's a pleasant basketball watch. He just does a lot of things on the basketball court really well. Um, he's constantly moving. He's never taking a single playoff. Uh, those are things that I think are going to translate for him into the NBA versus other guys that do that uh, as well. I think that's something that is really like a part of his game and going to help him and stick and maybe even give him upside that we don't realize just yet. But in addition to that, the dude is a knockdown shooter. Um, he has NBA range already. He's coming off screens and squaring up with ease. Uh, he, you know, catches on the hop, gets right into his motion. It's super fluid, super compact and repeatable. Uh, the dude is a lights out shooter and that's definitely going to be his carrying skill to the NBA. Um, but 
I just I just love everything else he brings. He's an intangibles guy with a lights out stroke. So I think, you know, I think that's an exciting prospect, especially one who I also believe has a little bit of reverse projection left in him. And for those who are listening, uh, reverse projection is the scenario where a player is a little bit chubby per se, and they get to an NBA or they get into a better training system, and it helps them lean out and get a little bit more explosive and lean. Uh, I think that might be in the cards for Ron Harper Jr. So you can add in where you feel fit. I think the guy is uh, not too different from someone else on this list that we also like a lot. And uh, I'll save that nugget for that conversation. <laughs> I think I know where you're going to go with that. Um, but yeah, you hit the nail right on the head with what I've seen from, from Ron Harper Jr. I think it's safe to call him an, an offensive machine at this point. Now, one one nugget that I definitely had a question for you on, and then I'll kind of get into the rest of my soliloquy um, <laughs> on Ron Harper, but his 62.5% shooting from the free throw line, given how dangerous of a shooter he is from literally anywhere else on the court, what, what do you think is the reason why he struggled at the line? Do you think it's just like, like a mental thing? I don't really think there's anything mechanically off with his free throw stroke, I'd have a little more mechanical concern regarding his shot from everywhere else in the court. I think his free throw stroke actually looks pretty good. Um, so what, what do you think has been the problem for why he struggled from there? Yeah, you know, I, I've watched it and I don't see anything glaringly wrong with it either. And I, I have to assume it's something in between the head at that point. Um, hasn't gotten to the line a ton in his career, so maybe it's not something he's totally focused on. Uh, but I really don't have a, a good answer for that. Um, based off how he shoots all over the rest of the court, it's pretty surprising. Yeah, because 56% from the floor overall, 50% from three, that, that kind of scoring from everywhere else on the floor is, is ridiculous. And if you take a, take a little bit of a dive into the synergy stuff, um, the only area that he really doesn't separate himself and like exceed expectations at is like in play types where he's like having to cut. Or like make a quick move, right? Because he's not—he's not the quickest guy. You mentioned that. I think he is a little doughy, but yeah. guys like that generally do figure that out um, at, at the and NBA level, especially nowadays. Right, and he's so smart that I think he does. This this guy is made for the current day NBA offense, where you're reading and cutting and reacting all the time, and I think you know he's going to thrive. Yeah, he's 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 literally like a jack of all trades scorer um, with upside, given his size. At six six, he's listed at two forty five. That that's a lot of weight to be carrying around for a guy who's six six. But yeah, you know he what? Carries it well. He, he yeah he does he he carries it well. It doesn't necessarily hindrance him. I just I don't think he's ever gonna be like that. Qu Another guy who's really not gonna be that quick moving without the ball. But he knows where he needs to get to to be right. effective and that's something that separates himself from a guy like a Marcus Bagley that we just talked about while Bagley's still trying to figure out in some respects where he needs to be all the time Ron Harper Jr. knows where he needs to be and knows how he can get shots up the kind of angles that he needs to be shooting at he, he's figured all that stuff out um, and he's someone that I definitely think will benefit from playing with better options around him as he gets comfortable somewhere else as like a third or a fourth offensive option, depending on the team that he lands with, depending on the unit that he's playing with all the time. But even being like a volume score against other bench units, that, yeah. that also definitely raises his draft stock because you know that regardless of where you put him, when you draft him, he's going to find a way to succeed. Um, now, maybe he doesn't give you a lot elsewhere i think he he's a very competitive rebounder the numbers would certainly say that seven seven rebounds a game um mm -hmm. he certainly fights on the glass he's competitive i wouldn't call him this like all-class defender by any means but no. he's another guy who has a big body he's not going to be pushed around if he has to guard somebody on the block he's not going to be shoved down into the post to the point where he can't recover and contest a shot uh, maybe you don't want him guarding like like point guards on the perimeter who are definitely going to be really quick and can get around him a little easy. But um, he, he's certainly a guy who's going to succeed in some form or capacity. Absolutely a first rounder and just someone I, I've been really impressed with. I mean, in a league where older, smarter players are being valued now, kind of like how they were 15 to 20 years ago with more guys staying longer in college. Mm -hmm. um, he's definitely making his mark at the right time and has solidified himself in, in that in that capacity. Definitely, no doubt.
So kind of moving to uh, another freshman, bouncing around the age groups a little bit, somebody that, that I've been really impressed with, but not just me, um, any kind of draft Twitter has, has gone on and on about Moses Moody. He, he's made a pretty clear top 10 case in, in my eyes. The numbers certainly back that up. So like almost 17 points per game, kind of like the, the same clip that Christopher's scoring at, um, 23 per 40 minutes, um, almost six rebounds and, and almost eight per 40 minutes for a guard at 6'6 six, six for his size. He, he's clearly a competitive player in his own right. His slash line, 51.2% from the field, almost 42% from three, almost 80% from the free throw line. That's incredibly impressive for, for a frosh guard who, quite frankly, um, he's it for his team, right? Like when you watch Arkansas, I don't know about you, Cole. I don't really see anybody else who should be uh, on a draft radar on that I, team at the very least this year. I want to say, like, if you are watching college basketball this season and you have missed Arkansas, please go watch Arkansas because you need to see Moses Moody. <laughs> yeah, he's he he's he's at at this point he's kind of like a one man show for that team. And given that he's not like the most explosive creator with the basketball, right? Like he's not somebody that's gonna like dribble, 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 shoot. Um, he he's more of like a, a quick action guy. But he's been so efficient on those quick actions, and he's taken so many tough shots for that team because of that. Like when I, if you just go back, like if you're a casual fan and you just flip on like a Moses Moody, like a highlight tape on YouTube for some of the things, some of the games he's been in for Arkansas this year, you'll see that like every shot in those highlight tapes are so tough of looks. And his job is only going to be made easier with better talent around him at, at the NBA level. And, and just to kind of bring home that point about how great he's been on tough shots, almost 65% true shooting percentage and a 28 player efficiency rating for someone whose life has been made that much harder because of the quote unquote lack of talent around him. I know that you and I never let that affect our take on, on Cole Anthony and Cole Anthony, despite his injury concerns, certainly had a tough go of it last year operating uh, with, with guys around him, but we didn't really see have NBA cases and, and they didn't cause he was, he was the only guy that, that made it to an NBA draft selection from the North Carolina team. But man, this guy ranking in the 93rd percentile overall for offense by synergy. I mean, Holy cow, like Cole, what, what are your thoughts on, on Moses Moody and what he's been able to do so far. Yeah, so I'm happy you you tapped into the synergy stats a little bit because that's something I did not do in, in advance for this. So he's 93rd percentile for offense. So overall, far, right? overall yeah. on offense. Guess what? He's also 18 until May 31st. Like, just let that sink in for a second. So Moses Moody is lethal from three already. He's one of the youngest kids in the draft. He's carrying Arkansas and he's doing it on a great shooting line and not being like a jack and a dark hole. Sign me up. Um, I like Moses Moody a lot. I don't know if you would historically say that this is my type, Nate, but there's a few things that fascinate me about him, one being how long he is. Uh, I think I saw he has like a close to a seven-foot wingspan. Um, for having that type of wingspan and being how young he is and being the type of shooter he is already, that's impressive. Usually it's it's the other way around. Usually it's a long wingspan and you're just starting to put together uh, your ability to shoot at this age and he's already got it locked down and pat. Um, not only that, I think I, I think the I think the offense will come with uh, under the arc. I think it's only a matter of time. Again, age is on his side here, but he has decent body control for how long limbed he is, and his body will only get better. And I think he'll just he'll get that coordination uh, in due time. So I think the scoring will come. He shows aptitude for showing in a number or for scoring in a number of different ways around the rim. He's got good touch. Uh, he's got that little pull-up mid-range at the elbow that he really likes that he gets to um, pretty routinely right now. Yeah, I think this kid's got the complete offensive package, and I think the defense will come too just because he's got the body and, and the desire. And I've seen him, just the little things with him too, like I've seen him come out of nowhere off the wing and, and crash for an offensive board. So like he's not taking plays off. No, and, and, and those those little nuances as far as playing defense on the wing, I agree. Those are going to come for him in time. He's not a negative on defense for his team, but that's certainly not one of his bright spots. I guess that that's his on-ball defense leaves a little bit to be desired when you think about how big of a wing he is, and, and you mentioned his length. I would not be surprised if that seven-foot wingspan 
um, nugget was true. It, it definitely at least like 6'11", but if it's 7 foot, that, that doesn't shock me. And that bodes well to the rebounding stats that I mentioned as well. Um, tough nose, competitive guy. He certainly tries. And, and like, like you said, he's definitely going to pick up on more nuances for his position. And given that how young he is, I didn't even realize that myself, that he's going to be one of the youngest players in this draft class, w- without a doubt, when, when, when you mentioned that. Um, that age and when he's going to turn 19 that that just that just speaks even higher to having him top 10 as somebody who comes in with such a high floor already mm-hmm. and the fact that he's only going to get better in a professional system with better players around him yeah he's he's i i think he has to be a top 10 pick in this upcoming draft and i'm, I'm comfortable saying that now um, he's definitely going to be there when we do release our boards and i don't see that changing for, for for the foreseeable future i think he's going to stay there um no there's just he's already there as an 18 year old and, and so many of these other kids are you know they have some some of the skills and we can see flashes of it but moody just shows so much already and given the age i think it's it's got to be a slam dunk no brainer that he's in the top 10 yeah and like we said his defense isn't even like bad like it, it, no. it's the fact that like we're pointing to that as like his weak spot but at the same time it's not like he's coming in and like allowing like a layup parade at the rim right like he, right. he gets after it and he competes and at least g- generally that's 80 percent of the draft's weakness is defense so especially off ball defense which i know that you you probably heard me preach about that yeah. um uh, before on on the 2020 draft editions of the pod um, right it, it, but he just, shows he shows no signs of not being able to learn stuff like that or no. not being a good teammate so like i, I don't have red flags as far as at least my knowledge uh, is concerned with Moses. Another guy coming from Montverde. Good God, yep. they just churn out and NBA prospects like nobody's business. They sure do. And with how young he is, man, what if he is six eight come March or April? That no. is true. He could can't grow. rule that out. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't rule it out whatsoever. Um, move, moving on to to two other younger guys, at least relative to, well, one of them especially relative to him being a sophomore and how young he still is. Um, the Greg Brown versus Kai Jones debate. Now, it's it's worth having a debate on these two. I think you and I are going to end up on the Greg Brown side of this. That's kind of where I started the season. I pointed him out to you before the season started. And I was like, yo, the, he's definitely the best athlete in the draft. There's no question about it. At his size, the way that he moves, his leaping ability, like the, he's going to be a top target for teams. You definitely co-sign that. But <laughs> I, I also made it clear to on this podcast already and, and to people in private circles that he's going to be a project. Like he, he, he hasn't been playing competitive basketball for that long of a time. He, he comes from a, a, a football lineage his father was obviously a great, uh, great football player. So that's really his his better background. But him being able to pick up basketball and be where he's at today, even from just the start of the season, has been impressive to me. Um, now, given his early struggles, I was leaning more towards Kai Jones as being the better NBA prospect for sure at one point. I mean, listen, he's, his effective field goal percentage, Kai Jones, is 75.6%. That That's... That's stupid. I don't care who you are. I don't care how tall you are, where you're getting your points. Being that efficient on looks, yeah, it's 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 absolutely stupid. Um, he he's obviously he's been a a role threat. He he's been a threat down low, but he's been hitting open shots when he's gotten the chance. His footwork getting to the basket is probably what impresses me the most. He hasn't been able to flash it a lot, really, because he doesn't have the playing time to. I can't figure out why he's not starting yet next to Greg Brown. I guess um, they're they're giving Jericho Sims the, the benefit of the doubt that he's going to turn it around. This is a senior campaign. They want to have him out there. They want to give him that chance. But a 6'11 center Euro stepping his way to the basket, that speaks for itself. I, I don't really have to go into more detail than that. Um, 1.6 stocks, steals, and blocks a game feels like he probably should be a little higher. But like I mentioned, he's only playing about 17 minutes a night. So that I feel like that number would definitely be higher um, if he was getting more playing time over Sims. Um, and all the synergy ratings are excellent too. Um, then I have nothing negative to say about where he's at there. Defensively, I can see why he's only rated as average by those metrics on post-ups. He's, he's not really bulky. There's not a lot to him there yet. But I feel like once you get in the pros, this is a classic case of this guy's going to be so much better from a physical standpoint 
once he gets in an NBA training program. He's definitely going to be able to fill out a bit. He's got a good frame to him. Um, but that being said, he's a big, locked into a big role. Brown's a different story. Brown has been trying to play more of like a wing, stretch big oriented role and has succeeded on some fronts. But as I mentioned, he's failed from an efficiency standpoint, although he's looked better in the last few games. Um, but Cole, what are some of the things that you've seen from from both guys before I go a little further into some of the numbers for Greg Brown? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on Kai for a second. Um, mm-hmm. The skill is obviously apparent. Uh, you know, I see stuff that he's doing that reminds me of like when I was watching Christian Wood at UNLV uh, when he would shot fake and jab step and then pull off some, you know, crazy footstep or crazy footwork through the lane and finish very nicely at the rim. And it's like, oh, wow, you're way too big to be able to do something like that. But holy crap. But my concern more with Kai Jones than I had with Christian Wood, while Christian Wood was skinny, he had shoulders on him. And I don't think Kai really does. And I think that's why you see him playing so little uh, versus Jericho is because Jericho has a body and he provides more of a constant frontline defense than Kai Jones does. I think Kai gets tossed around a little bit still. Um, and that's where I kind of I wonder, like, yeah, does he need to leave and get his body worked on by professionals or does he need another year of just natural progression in college um, to work on his body? Because I, I don't think he's ready to even, like, hang around the G League for, for sustained 20 24 minutes right now for the course of a year with his body type um so like i get the skill i see it uh i just have concerns with the body and and just how far that can come for him uh with greg it's kind of the opposite it's like he passes the eye test in every sense of the way with the body and athleticism as you touched on um and and like you said he's a project but he's he's the right type of project for me and i'll let you get into it after this He's the right type of project because you can see it every game. Every game, Greg Brown is getting better. He's adding something. He's showing you something new. Um, or he's, like, he's just hustling harder than ever if he's not scoring. Like he, So, to me, that's the exciting part about Greg Brown is that, like, every mm-hmm. game you're seeing this guy just grow up in front of you. And, and that's kind of evidenced. You saw the first four games kind of rocky up and down. Last three games, he's been, you know, high double digits good efficiency he's made to at least two threes a game in three straight games two double doubles in a row so i mean like he's settling in a little bit we're starting to see it so that's what intrigues me a lot about greg brown is that it seems to be game to game with him and i think that's a dangerous recipe for success this kid wants it like you said his dad was a football pro these kids are tough generally uh i like i like the uh i like the canvas that he has to work with yeah, and, and just like the, the very raw slash line, 41% from the field, 26% from three, 72% from the free throw line, that's gonna that's not going to like knock anyone back, right? Um, given especially the volume that he's shooting from the perimeter. But we knew we knew that he was going to struggle with efficiency and production as far as like he, he's far from a complete product as a basketball player. We knew that. He's a project, but as you said, he's a fun one. And you echoed a lot of sentiments of, of things that I wanted to see from Brown this year and will hopefully continue to see is how hard he fights, what his motor is, um, how does he turn the corner over the course of a full season and continue to grow from game to game. And yeah, you mentioned it. He's starting to become more ba- more comfortable getting into the basket. He's rebounding at a high rate on both ends, competing on defense. He's definitely a smarter defensive player today than he was even at just the start of the season, right? He's not biting on as many pump fakes. He, he's not getting himself into as much foul trouble as he was at the start of the year because that that's really why he wasn't on the court for extended amounts of time in some of those early games was because he was just in, in foul trouble and he, he couldn't avoid it given the position that he was trying to play um, being like this bigger guy on the wing where so these, these smaller guys are going to attack closeouts. They're going to be a little more aggressive than, than what Brown was probably used to seeing um, in, in high school when his size is probably so imposing for some of these high school players he was going up against that they didn't want to try to challenge him. Well, that, that's not the case anymore, right? They're going to challenge him. And if he doesn't know how to play defense and how to play disciplined defense, especially he, he's going to give up fouls to some of those more aggressive um, guards and wings who are taking him off the bounce and, and just driving right at him. Um, but, but not falling for a lot of those things, or at least not as many of them from the beginning of the season to now, that's the kind of growth that I wanted to see, right? I wanted to see his growth as a basketball player. I'm not concerned about him physically. As you said, he's going to be just fine from an athletic standpoint in the NBA, but it's how quickly his game can progress and how, how quickly he can do that ultimately makes his NBA case and potentially a lottery case 
um, for, for his draft stock. So if you focus too hard on the numbers right now for Brown, you're missing out on a potential top tier prospect. And that's the conversation that you and I have definitely had off the air. Go, going back just a little bit to Kai Jones, you, you mentioned about the body and I agree that that's probably like his biggest downside right now. But if you're confident in a guy's skills package, right, you know that he can play the game well enough to, to earn minutes on the court. If it's more about the body and what kind of a beating he can or can't take, don't you want him going to the pros then sooner rather than later? Usually it's when you keep a guy in college, you want him to be focused more on the skills development, not necessarily more of the physical development. Yes. Uh, no, you're right. And especially for big men. Uh, I think that's historically mm-hmm. definitely the case for big men. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at that point, like Texas is going to have a successful season. They're going to be tournament bound and probably a pretty deep team or a pretty deep run. And he should probably ride the coattails into the draft. I I'd probably see that happening. Um, I don't think he's my cup of tea in terms of these skilled big stuff, just because the body okay. is more of a long shot for me than anything. Like he, he fits like he's, you know, he's, taller than Chris Boucher, but he's like that body type, which is scary. I, I think his body's a little bit better than that. I, I, I think I think he'll definitely be able to fill out more um, over yearly develop like year to year development in the NBA, right? Like obviously it's not going to be this quick thing like no. we, we turn around and see Kai Jones tomorrow, all of a sudden, holy cow, like he he's he's built like a shit brick house, right? That mm-hmm. probably will never happen. But certainly any physical development he's going to have, especially with big men at that size, you have to be careful with how much weight you put on in a certain amount of time. So it's got to be like from from year one in the league to year four, how much was he able to develop physically? And then what has that ultimately done for his game overall? Like he's another guy you're going to have to be patient with if if you're drafting him. But to me, the skills package points upwards to, yeah, that's a guy I'm interested in. More than not, but he's a guy that we'll definitely be talking about at other points of the season. Um, somebody else that we're clearly already were having conversations about. You were high on him for last draft. I was definitely going to talk about him um, for for the last draft. If he would have kept his name in, he would have 100% been in my top 60. Now he's going to be much higher than where he probably would have been in the last draft, and that's Corey Kispert. the The man's taken the biggest leap for me this year in terms of draft equity, like. No one can stop him right now <laughs> offensively. You ready for this? He's in the not. It probably won't surprise you, but he's in the 99th percentile. Is this for, the guy you, you mentioned at the onset of the podcast? The, this, this is the guy that I was talking about. Yeah, right, the K- Kispert's it. your guy. Kispert's your man. I, I will give you all the majority of the credit on Kispert, but I've I've come around that I'm certainly a believer um, in him being a lottery level talent. I've because... been there since freshman year, so let's let's hear it. Fresh freshman year, Cole. No freshman I'm, year. That is no smoke. That is no smoke. I remember seeing him as a freshman. He started a few games, and I was like, "This kid can shoot the lights out." And then I remember as a sophomore, I was surprised at how little he was playing. I thought he would, you know, break into a, a bigger role. I guess he was playing a good bit minutes wise, but he wasn't scoring as much. The team was still pretty loaded. And then it started to, to happen last year, and then this year, of course, we, we see what we see. That this year is. It's insane. Like, I know he's not some kind of, like, tough shot maker or creator, but in everything he does, he exceeds, at an ex- yeah, he, he, he exceeds at an extraordinarily high level, um, despite not having, like, that creative flavor in his attack. He can still get it done off the bounce on a line drive, which is something that he's definitely been working on coming into this year, and it's clearly bode well for him. Um, and that's fine, because all he really needs to do is to be able to attack those closeouts on occasion to keep defenses guessing because what he does with the ball in his hands, when he gets a shot up, Holy cow. It's, (laughs) it's incredible in play types where he's been charted with 11 or more possessions. He's in the 96th or above percentile in all of them. Wow. That's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. 21 points a game, 61.6% from the field, 51.7% from three, 88 from the line. There is no better tailor-made shot maker coming into the NBA out of this class than Kispert. And he's not going to wow you with how he makes the shots necessarily. He's not going to lock anyone up on defense, but he's a big body who knows how to play. And if he can hit shots at this clip, he can be a third option in a really good lineup as long as those other two options are, are good creators around him. Um, and, and I really think that we're, we're seeing like the second coming of what Kyle Korver was for the NBA. 
I, I really think the second coming is right here with Corey Kispert. Like, Corver was an all-star, and I think that Kispert can be an all-star in the mold of how Corver did it with the Hawks. I, I can't rule any of that out for him. He is a problem with range, and to me, he solidified himself as a lottery selection, and I think you you just said it. You're, you're right there for, for this draft as well. Yeah, I think he's got to be in a lottery. Um, something I'm toying with in my mind as like a new category to rate guys on is, is floor spacing. And we talk about it all the time, so it only makes sense to, to have it really solidified as a grading category for these guys. So Corey Kispert's probably the best floor spacer in the draft, and that has to account for something and not something big given the way the NBA is played these days. So you mentioned how efficient he is in every which way and that he's the second coming of Kyle Korver. I think he's better with the ball in his hands. Like you said, he made that a huge emphasis on his mm-hmm. offseason. And he's definitely showing, uh, he's showing, showcasing that immediately, which is impressive. So that shows you he's able to, you know, learn quickly and implement quickly as well, which is always a good sign. Uh, he's able to vary his his pace now when he gets off, when he attacks a closeout too, he's finding open shooters as well. It, he just fits in the NBA today. So and I kind of saw that coming uh, when I did lay eye on did lay eyes on him for the first time a few years ago. I just thought like, oh, wow, like you said, like signs of Corver, maybe there's more, but at, at the very least, he's going to shoot the lights out and now we're seeing more. So it's really awesome to see Corey Kisper come all this way. Um, question for you is, because I know you're, you're a bit of a Heat fan, Duncan Robinson, like where does Kisper compare to Duncan Robinson? Does Duncan Robinson, does his breakout last year help open the door for Kispert in the lottery this year? Like what, what is Duncan Robinson's impact on Kispert this year? If any, do you think? Well, I, I, I mean, Duncan's clearly laid the blueprint to a lot of guys where it, it doesn't really matter how much of like an all around skills case that you have to make. If your one or two things that you do well are done at this extraordinarily high clip, right? Like mm-hmm. anytime I see Duncan Robinson slightly open for a shot, he's canning it. Yeah. And and I, I see the same thing from Kispert and we've clearly been seeing it. I mean, like, God, 75% effective field goal percentage for a guy that just shoots jumpers. He, yeah. he pretty much just shoots jumpers. He only attacks a closeout. Or I, I know like, like we talked about now, he's, he's worked on like the, the dribble drive game a little bit, but he only does it when he has to do it. Like, mm-hmm. other than that, he's shooting from the outside. And to be hitting that many shots at such a high rate, yeah, Duncan Robinson definitely cracked the door open for for that archetype of a player. I agree with that completely. Um, but I, I, I've, never, I've never seen anyone at this level make this much of an improvement to be scoring at this efficient of a clip. Personally, I, I, don't, I don't recall that I've ever seen something like what Corey Kispert's doing this year, and it's, it's remarkable. No, it's you know it's definitely not since like Jimmer or McDermott. Um, those guys were pretty lethal offensive weapons in their own right in college. Uh, I think it's kind of funny how good of a shooter Kispert is, and he only 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 takes six and a half attempts per game, but he's making over fifty <laughs> percent of them. So like, what does it matter? It's it's he's so efficient. Like you said, he's scoring twenty one and a half a game. It's nuts. Yeah, it, it, it's it's stupid. It, it's absolutely stupid. He he's a lottery pick all the way. We're we're both gonna have him. Um, in the top 14s on, on our boards when we release them it's god what he's doing is, is spectacular and and yeah I, I like that you brought up Duncan Robinson because more players should take that lesson to focus not necessarily on what you can't do obviously you can make strides every day to get better at what you can't do but certainly don't put all of the focus on what you can't do and right. emphasize what you also can do and, and make those things that you can do extraordinary skills and even if you don't succeed at everything else because we're, we're all human right we there, there's only a select few players in the nba who we could say can almost do anything right like today yeah. it's 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 like lebron you know it's it's like transcendent guys like that yeah. not everybody's good at everything but if you can paint a path pave a path like this like how kispert's done like how robinson's done man you you have a role you're going to be wanted in the nba and I, I don't know, Cole. I don't know how high Kisper can climb on a draft board. I don't know where, where I'm going to put him in that top 14. But I think the closer we get to draft day, I, I think he, he could climb further than some of these other tantalizing prospects that we're going to end up talking about 
I, I think he could be a scary high selection when it's all said and done. I don't know about you. He's definitely going to be up there. Um, what did Clay go? Eight or something? Clay, no, Clay was like a mid first round pick. Oh, was he? I wow. thought. Oh my. Um, yeah, so, which is insane because Clay, I, I, that's where Clay went. But at the same time, though, I don't think anybody really saw what was going to be coming from Clay, though. Like, he wasn't at that no. level of a shooter in college. So, right. He took it to a whole new level once he left college. That's, that's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like grappling with that. Like, Clay is probably what you would hope Kisper could be at the very high end. He's probably never going to get there because Clay has that extra athleticism and defensive prowess. But, yeah, man, he's going to be up there. That's for sure. Shooting's at a premium. Floor spacing is at a premium. That's just where the NBA is today, and he's got it in spades. Now, speaking of another Gonzaga teammate of his, where we're going to be talking about their main prospect next week for sure um, when we start our, our, our big board series, our top 30 series. But um, talking about a guy who hasn't taken, or at least hasn't been in, in as much of the forefront of the draft conversation as I'd like him to be, would be Joel Ayayi. Um, almost eight rebounds a game for a six-five guard. Come on, man. Come on. Like I, I don't care what his wingspan is. That that's noteworthy in and of itself. Um, he's not a dominant shooter. He's not someone who wants to live at the free throw line or with the ball in his hands, for that matter. His stat sheet's not going to necessarily blow you away from night to night, but his impact without the ball is incredible. And he's a great role player in today's NBA. Um, so many guys come into the league wanting to showcase their scoring ability and, and, and wanting to just hit all of these miraculous shots, offense, offense, and more offense, right? But Ayayi is, is a great player to have in a lineup that, that needs a threat, but doesn't need someone to necessarily hit shots at a volume rate, right? Like Ayayi clearly takes what the defense gives him. He's a willing cutter. Arguably, I think he's probably the best cutter off the ball in this class just from watching the film. I haven't, I didn't do like a deep, dive stack breakdown before this about like who the best cutters in college basketball are right now but just by the eye test the IE to me has been the guy that's popped out the most in that area um, he can make open shots when he has space he's a willing passer he attacks the offensive glass plays tough competitive defense I I'm going to struggle keeping him out of the first round if I even keep him out of the first round that's probably he's probably going to end up in a top 30 for me to be perfectly honest um, I don't really see that in consensus from, from anywhere else. I think like I, I was trying to look at some, some other major like draft boards from some of these other major outlets earlier today. And I think like only one had a Yai sniffing like the top 30. Uh, but other than that, everyone pretty much has him marked as like the second round guy or a guy that can potentially be undrafted, at least up to this point. Um, and yet, even though his raw numbers aren't that sexy, he's still in the 88th percentile overall offensively by synergy. Um, and, and why is that? It's because it's the shots he takes, he knows he yeah. can make. He, right. he doesn't live above his means. I love prospects who come to work, get their hands dirty, and they can go home without a pat on the back. It shows character, toughness, and means he can fit anywhere on any team. So, Cole, I don't really know a lot of your thoughts about Ayayi. He hasn't really been a guy that you and I have talked about at length off the podcast. So give it to me right now. What, what, do, you, what do you like or, or not like about Ayayi? Yeah, I, I think he's a guy that I've come to like a little bit more and more as I watch. Um, and I think that's kind of the case for a lot of people. If you don't know much about him, I think as you watch him, you just see him do so many things right on the court. And one of the best things he does, like you said, is that off-ball movement. Yeah, man, he, and that's why he's going to score at the next level too is because he finds himself wide open because he's making cuts that nobody else is making, and that's going to translate. So when you're that good at making cuts, just like Kispert is that good at shooting, these things – carry over and it's going to keep him uh you know scoring at least in that regard like you said he's not an electric shooter but he knows how to pick his spots and he will rise up when he needs to if he feels a guy sagging i think he's pretty comfortable in pick and roll which is huge um for any guard today in the nba he's got nba guard so above average guard size uh there's a lot to like here i don't I don't get him not being in the first round personally. I'm not saying he's a pick in the teens, but this guy has to be considered pretty much from 22 on. And I don't think he should last very long after that. He, he does a lot of things right. As I said before, he's got size. This is how the NBA is played today. It's, it's just what he does, positionless basketball. He can play make, he can pass, he can score when he needs to. His offensive mindset, a little bit from like a scoring mentality, reminds me of Monte Morris. He's just like always making the right pass always shooting when he needs to, always getting the right guy, the right shot. 
Um, he's just very, very sound. He He's someone that I would absolutely target with a draft pick somewhere in the first round. If I was a team and I know that I needed um, like a lunch pail type guy to, to come in and, and help my rotation right away, he's someone I might even think about like trading back into the later in the first round for if he hasn't already been snatched up yet. Like that, that's how much that I, I like Ayayi. And I think the, the public consensus is probably going to catch on to him. At least they should after these last two games, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 21 points, 11 rebounds and six assists. Right. Um, I like it's it's insane what he's doing for his size, and that's what I also like about him. Like I think he can step up to. I, he knows exactly what the game is is asking of him. Like but the, a few minutes in, he knows what he needs to bring to the table, and he's doing that the rest of the game. So if he needs to go be the scorer for the night, he is. And like, and that's kind of why he reminds me of Monte Morris. He he did he does some of that stuff too now in the league. If Denver is shorthanded for the night, Monte's like, all right, it's my turn to go up and score like twenty, and he does it you know pretty well, and. I don't know if Monte could be a full-time starter, just like I don't know if Ayayi could be a full-time starter for some other limitations. But, you know, they're both super sound, and you need sound players with the ball uh, that have the ball in their hands in the NBA, making the right decisions. You do, and you just you need to fill out your rotation with smart guys who are willing to do the dirty work. And that's, that's so forgotten, I feel like, in, in, in some circles when you talk about evaluating talent. Um, star hunting in certain parts of the draft where would you take this guy relative to another guy you, you forget about some of the stuff like hey i actually have to fill out a team here it can't always be let's take this amazing boomer bust prospect that could very well be a star for us but he could also be out of the league in two years right like a yai is going to be in the league he's going to be an nba player it, it's it, it's the case he's made but you know what i love talking about those kinds of guys um as as the audience is going to find out over the coming months here for this draft, once we really start to, to put more podcasts together, once the website gets up and we start releasing more in-depth scouting reports, I like giving guys like this as much attention as I do like the top like five picks, right? Like right. these guys have all made cases for themselves. They've all had careers. They've worked so hard on their games to get to where they are. And they they all deserve the same amount of attention, right? Like I don't I don't value the the first guy in the draft all this much more than I do a guy who might be like in the thirties or the forties of a class. They, they, they all deserve to be talked about and they all deserve the fair share. Um, so that's why I love a guy like EIE. Yeah. And to be honest, so many times, these are the same guys we hear about in the crunch time of playoffs coming up in huge role, role, yep. role moments like Caruso, Fred Van Fleet. I mean, I could go on and on. It's usually these guys and I, he's, you know, he's going to fit that mold. I think he's going to, he's going to show up big time for a team in the near future in the playoffs. He is. He is. And and the last guy that, that we're going to talk about on this episode of the podcast, not for the same reasons as a Yai, because Jared Butler for Baylor is a guy who's clearly on the ball more. He's going to be a little more active with the ball in his hands. But he's somebody else that I think is going really undervalued in this class. Another guy, I really don't see him um, on a lot of first round boards right now. Or if I do, he's he's like really late in the first round. Um so I, I'm not quite sure how many other people have Butler as like a mid first round pick or, or have him even close to being that high, but it's getting hard to leave him out of like the top 20 of a board, right? His playmaking as widely talked about already to this point in the season, it has taken a major leap. Um, he's up yes. to 6.3 assists per game, 9.6 per 40 minutes. So he, he's almost averaging a double double per, per 40 minutes points and assists standing at only six, three, likely around six, one, at least by my eyeball test, dude, where, where do you think, how big do you think he is? Yeah, I think he's about six, six, two, but he's got some shoulders on him, man. He does. He does. He's, he, he's, he's a small guard, but, but he's built well. He, he is a, he has a compact build. Um, smaller guards don't fare the best off the ball anymore no. uh, because of the size and skill we have at the wing positions. But that's why Butler got the feedback that he did to go back to school and focus on improving, making others better with the ball in his hands. And, and he's done that while maintaining his scoring efficiency, his deep threat, and his overall offensive attack. And he, he's a hound guarding on the ball, while probably not the best guard defender on his team. He's still impressive on the ball, fighting through screens, staying with a man, operating in his own at times. Now, he, he still needs to figure out how to better operate in, in pick-and-roll situations. That's probably his weak point offensively, at least by, by the synergy metrics and by my eye test. Uh, but he's probably coming off of a team's bench anyways, at least – 
at the start of his NBA career. So he'll have time to learn more nuances of the point guard position in the NBA should that be his path. But even in a bench unit as like a secondary playmaker and shooter, I'm confident he can burn some NBA units today. Um, he's competitive, a hard worker, and I, I really don't want to bet against the kid. Like, I, I really like him. He really impresses me as a guard prospect. So, Cole, what, what are your thoughts on Butler? Again, another guy that we really haven't talked in, in length about. I'm curious to hear what you like about him. Yeah, so Butler's someone, I'll be honest, has not been on my radar his first few years at Baylor, um, and I wasn't watching as much college ball the last year or two as well. But having seen him this year and then, you know, gone back and seeing some highlights from both his freshman and sophomore year, I can definitely say that it's impressive to see the leap he's taken from a playmaking standpoint. Uh, like you said, while keeping his offensive attack just about the same, improving his numbers across the board, as a matter of fact, and while maintaining uh, pretty much the lowest turnover rate of his career. All impressive stuff for a kid who was asked to improve in these, these facets, and he did. So I think that has to count for something. If you're these NBA teams grading him, you ask this kid to improve, he did it, and then some. Uh, that's that's big time. So, yeah, I wouldn't bet on this kid to, to not succeed at the next level either, uh, given what he's shown just off that. Um, he definitely reminds me of, like, the Terry Rozier kind of type of guard. Um, you know, Rozier's finding himself a little bit off ball right now, playing with Devontae and Alamelo. So I think there is room for that type of guard down if he, you know, continues to bulk up and gets better defensively. Uh, like, I totally agree that he'll start his career off the bench. But, yeah, he's an interesting guy, and – like I said, I don't know a ton about him off the court, but he just seems to give off this vibe that he's a hard worker and he's a no-nonsense guy. Yeah, and, and and coming back to school and competing the way that he has and improving at the rate that he has, that that speaks to me about it too, right? Like a lot a lot of players could hear that feedback from from an NBA front office and be like, oh, F you, man. Like, <laughs> like I, I, th I think I'm a good playmaker already. Like, why do I have to go back and, and prove all this? I, I, I've been like this this all-team caliber guard my, my two years at Baylor, why am I not getting more respect? He, he, didn't, he didn't act like that. He didn't operate like that, at least to my knowledge he didn't. And no. the work that he's put in and the improvement he's made certainly proves to me that, that he, he is a character guy who can take feedback, process it, work on it, and really, really show himself to be a, a talented young player. So that, that I, I love hearing stories like that. I love seeing stuff like that. Um, to, to me, it, it's been one of my bigger emphasis is as far as scouting the game is from day one to when you get drafted, how much did you improve or did you end up being the same player throughout the entire time? Which, yeah, that, that can work. Sometimes you can market yourself if you're that good. But as we've seen, even in the NBA, one, one of our favorite players, at least one of my favorite players, Ben Simmons has <laughs> been pretty stagnant as far as his pro development. And quite frankly, you could have seen that coming at least I did see it coming. I just didn't want to buy it when he was at LSU. And I, I really stood up for him because he was misused in a lot of ways at LSU. But he pretty much was the same player from day one all the way up to when he got drafted. And that's pretty much been his case in the NBA. So it's about taking some of that feedback, what you can do from start to finish, and how much do you actually grow your game versus do you just let yourself kind of play and, and, and do what you think you do best. Ben's marketing career certainly isn't stagnant. Um, <laughs> but as it relates to Butler and, and your general point, totally. I mean, that being able to adjust is how you hang around well after your prime or, you know, once your elite skills start to diminish a little bit, it's, it's how you, you know, get that next contract. So being able to show that stuff at this age is, is always bodes well for kids, in my opinion, as it relates to draft stock. I don't know if people put enough stock into that. Like you said, I think people get, a little caught up with the idea of what a lot of players can be rather than honing in on what some players already offer and how valuable the, that, that, that those skills can be. Um, and then, it, I wanna, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it's something that I definitely learned to appreciate more through, through the years of kind of learning a lot of this stuff. I'm by no means this professional scout who should demand everyone's respect. I'm still learning a lot in my own right. But what I have learned over the years that I've loved doing this and have been doing this, I've, I've learned to appreciate the little things like that a lot more. Like be, being a little more patient with some of these guys, not expecting the world right out of the gate, being able to appreciate what they can do and laying out a path for them to be able to work and, and get better and improve because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. It's, it's not just pointing out the talent that a guy has 
but pointing out, hey, if he does A, B, C, and D, how much better can he really get? And what are the ways in which that that player can prove even my evaluation wrong from day one? That's what scouting really is all about. And that's some of the feedback that I've thankfully heard from some of the audience members who have listened to this podcast that, that I've really made um, an education on the process as well as education on some of these prospects in the game itself, like a forefront of what we're trying to do here at Draft Deeper. I appreciate hearing that feedback because that really is what I'm focused on. And it's so important to remember those little things and remember that all of these players are human, right? We don't want any of these guys to fail. No. It's it's our job in some respects to point out the the, the can and, and cannot, but laying out a path and being able to see how a player can improve from from and get from point A to point B, all, all of that is just as important as the raw evaluation. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. Uh, definitely one of the things I feel like I've been learning over the past couple of years as well. It's just getting over that, you know, being younger when I first started doing this more seriously and, and being just wanting to see every guy who had a high vertical turn into the next superstar, you know, I'm you know, past that, well past that phase, <laughs> you know, I've gone through probably a couple other phases, but, you know, credit to our former boss, you know, we had to watch everybody and you start to see the little things that make up every, every player that's out there and what little things do make it to the league yet prohibit that player from making it other ways and you start to try every year there's a little bit more of the puzzle gets put together i feel like yeah shout shout out shout out alon vikarov um our 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 former boss now los angeles lakers scout i i appreciate some of the little things that he taught me uh, about the process in general every single day when i'm trying to do this and get better so that that, that wraps up the podcast for this week. Again, thank you all out there for, for taking the time to listen to us. Stay subscribed to, to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Apple, Spotify, um, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. I'm always on there talking about basketball, giving my thoughts when I'm watching games. It's always fun to be able to chat back and forth with, with certain followers and certain people commenting on the tweets like the Facebook page. Trust me, there's a lot more content coming. Cole, I'm I'm really excited for what we're going to be doing over these coming weeks here. We're with a series focused on the top 30 of our big boards. I can't wait to, to get those big boards out of the open um, and really let the debate run wild. Me too, man. Uh, everybody out there, thanks for listening tonight. And stay tuned, like Nate said, for that, for that top 30. We're excited to get it to you real soon. Absolutely. Have a wonderful rest of your week, everyone. Take care.